Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So we've made it through yet another week of quarantine. I'm not sure, are we on week four or five, or I don't know, time is ceasing to have all meaning anymore. (laughs) But yes, we have made it through yet another week, and of course... Plenty of stuff to discuss. Um, We'll start out with the new unemployment numbers because, you know, that's just a nice cheery place to start a podcast. Um, The latest numbers um, for last week, um, an additional 5.2 million people went on unemployment, which brings our total number up to almost 22 million people. Um, The numbers from last week were better than expected or projected, but that kind of doesn't mean a lot because you do still have this bottleneck at the state level. Um, Still people having problems filing for unemployment, people still who have filed successfully but have not seen any money yet. So still some pretty significant bottlenecks on the state level. But obviously when you start getting to these numbers, you start getting more and more people agitating for reopening the economy. And it seems like, I mean, it, we're we're still not there yet, I don't think. I mean, I would need to see a hell of a lot more in the way of testing for this to even kind of be something worth thinking about seriously. Because, I mean, at this point, we still can't even really get an accurate idea of how many people have been exposed to COVID? How many people are sick? How many people... I mean, you can kind of get an idea of how many people who died, but then there's people who want to argue about those numbers because they want to argue about who is and is not being included in those numbers. Yeah, we still don't really have a good grasp on what the hell exactly is going on. But of course, like I said, we're on either week four or five or perhaps even more if... You are somebody who started self-quarantining before the official lockdown started going into place. You might be on week six by this point. So, yeah, obviously we've galloped way past the whole, hey, just lock everything down for two weeks, which that was always kind of optimistic. But here we are and you're starting to see protests. Um, There was one in Michigan. I think there was a couple other protests about... like state level protests arguing that the lockdowns need to be lifted and people should be allowed to go back to work and go about their business, which I mean, eek. Like I said, we, I just do not see enough info as to what we're really looking at. So, I mean, I, I think the lockdowns are going to end sooner rather than later. Um, you're starting to see a couple of states kind of examine their data and start thinking maybe May-ish, like at some point beginning mid-May. Um, I know here in Georgia, our shelter in place is in effect till the 30th, and I've not heard anything about them extending it. Um, obviously, various different states have done various different things. Some states have gone way more extreme than other states. Um like in California, I know there's a lot of, there's beach closures, there's stuff like that. There's a lot of ridiculous, ridiculousness going on there. Um, a couple of other states have gotten a lot more draconian. Um, Michigan is one of those that has just deemed like 
essential items that you can and cannot purchase in the store, which is ridiculous. Like I, I, I can't even begin to understand what would constitute an essential item. I mean, what's essential for me would probably not be essential for you. So I don't even know how you justify that. But apparently it's like you can't buy seeds. You can't buy just like random consumer goods. Um, I know they were trying to discourage people from like going to Walmart and purchasing clothing or toys or electronics or stuff like that, which I mean, life is still kind of going on somewhat normally in the way that, especially if you have kids, um, clearly you still have to buy them clothes. Like they're still growing. You have to buy them clothes. You have to buy them shoes. Obviously the demand for electronics has gone through the roof with distance learning. I was at my Walmart the other day and they were like completely sold out of laptops. And I was really confused for a minute. And then it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, oh yeah, if you're doing distance learning and you have more than one child in your house, you're going to need additional electronics to make this work. So like all of the cheaper laptops are sold out, all the cheaper tablets. So obviously, I mean, that stuff's essential. I mean, toys, if your kid's stuck in the house, like you have to have something to keep them occupied. So you got toys, like arts and crafts stuff. I know they were trying to crack down on. It's like all of this stuff. I mean, if it's in a store, it's been deemed essential. Like if a store is selling an item, obviously it's because they know people want and need to buy it. So kind of by default, like if whatever's in Walmart, Walmart has deemed essential because their customers have deemed it essential. And for as much as our lives have changed under quarantine, there's some things that haven't changed. Like you still need to do like the normal basic stuff that you would still like need to do. In addition to probably some extra stuff, like I said, if you do have kids, you're doing distance learning or you're working from home and that's another situation. Like if you have two or more people working from home all of a sudden and you only have like one desktop computer, well, clearly somebody needs another computer. So either you buy another laptop or you buy another desktop. So it's just, it's just kind of ridiculous, but hopefully a lot of this will be easing up soon. I, I just, oh, it makes me nervous. It makes me really nervous, but it is starting to reach that breaking point, but we shall see. Um, hopefully next week, the unemployment numbers will continue to trend downward. Fingers crossed. Um, they typically come out on Thursdays. So if you want to keep an eye out for that yourself, typically Thursday around 10-ish in the morning, those numbers tend to hit and they pretty much, they circulate pretty wide, pretty immediately. So you can keep an eye on that. And if you are in that boat and you are trying to file for unemployment, fingers crossed for you that you're able to do it and you're able to get your money. Because I see stories about people who have filed weeks and weeks and weeks ago, still have not gotten their money. Um, like I mentioned in the last weekly roundup, um, states are just now getting like instructions from the Department of Labor. Like they got it last the, the week before this last week. So they're starting to implement it. But from what I understand, there's people that still aren't getting paid that $600. It, it's still, it's all very up in the air and it's very scary for everybody who has lost their job. So if you're in that boat, I I, I will I, I will keep my fingers crossed for you and hopefully your unemployment money will come through sooner rather than later because everybody has bills to pay. So anyway, moving on from that, we do still have a primary season going on, believe it or not. 
And a couple of funny things happened this week in the primary season. Um, like I said last week, Bernie did officially drop out of the race. So now Biden is the presumptive nominee. And Bernie then proceeded to go endorse Joe Biden. And hilarity ensued. <laughs> Because, oh my God, are the Bernie people not having this at all? And for me, I'm just sitting there like, what did you expect? Like, you watched this in 2016. Did you think this year was going to be different? But apparently they did. And so there's a lot of progressives who are just dead set on not voting for Biden. They don't care. They're mad at Bernie. They're just, and they're not having it, which. That's a fine thing to say right now here in April. We shall see what happens in November. But it was just a brief moment of hilarity and a brief moment of like remembering how things were pre-COVID where the biggest arguments on the Twitter were between progressives and Biden supporters and how basically progressives are willing to just go down with the ship, I guess. Apparently, like I said, we'll see what happens in November. We'll see how gutsy they are, see if they actually do stay home or vote third party. I'm kind of doubting it. I mean, when push comes to shove, I'm sure they will all go into the voting booth and mash the button for Joe Biden. But for right now, it's very much a posture of we're not doing this. And Bernie's former communications person, but Brianna Joy Gray, she's one of those three name people. And <laughs> it, it, just a whole nother problem with Bernie's campaign to begin with is his communication team was just awful. But now she's out there refusing to support Biden, despite Bernie supporting Biden, and talking about how now she can drop the Democratic off of Democratic Socialism, which, I mean, no shit, Sherlock, we already knew what you thought. We were, we've been trying to say this for ages now. Thanks for finally admitting it, though. I mean, that's cool. But... Yeah, it was just it was just funny. And then the next day after that, Obama finally endorsed Biden. The endorsement that everybody has been waiting for, like, okay, when is Obama going to endorse Biden? Apparently, it's when Biden is the last option on the table and after Bernie Sanders endorses Biden. <laughs> oh my god, it was <laughs> That's just sad, but there's that yeah, there's there's not much else to talk about on the primary front. Um, I don't think there's any more primary voting until June-ish, like late. Maybe I think there's some in May, but I think everyone else is pushed back between like May and June. So not that it particularly matters anymore, obviously, because Biden is the presumptive nominee. But there's that. It was just funny. It was just a couple of really funny... Funny little highlight moments where we got to remember how things used to be. But moving back to the way things are, um, Trump has continued with his bizarre daily COVID press briefings, which, again, I will reiterate, if you do not have to watch these, don't. There's really no point in it. Anything useful or helpful, you, you'll be able to find it on the internet, but it seems like over this past week, they've gotten increasingly more bizarre and weird and tantrumy. And the ones that have kind of really broken through, um, one 
I, and I don't even really know what the question was, but Trump asserted that he has total authority over the states and can tell them when they should reopen or can reopen or order them to reopen, which obviously, no. And he also seems to think that presidential authority is just total, that he has total authority over everything, which... No. And of course, everybody jumped on this to deride it, obviously, because apparently Trump doesn't understand separation of powers or the Constitution or how states' rights work or that you can't really order the states to open and close much the same way like you didn't tell them to close, so you can't really tell them to reopen. So when on that whole posture it's just, like I said, these, these press conferences, if you don't have to, don't. Like, it's just, it's so ridiculous. So, ultimately, he ends up having to walk this whole thing back in the most Trumpian way possible, where, like, a day or two later, he says that he's giving the authority to the states to decide when they will reopen. Which, no shit, Sherlock, you never had it to begin with. They always did, but of course you can't just say, oops, my bad. You have to, like, make it into this grandiose thing where, oh, I am giving them the authority to do this. And apparently there were some saner moments in this press conference because um, there's a federal plan kind of in effect, right, or proposed. I don't think it's really in effect of like a phased reopening for states where there's like certain benchmarks that you meet and then you can move on from phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, which, okay, I mean, all fine and well. Before that happened, though, um, states started forming their own little regional coalitions to decide amongst themselves what would work best for their particular region, which, good, that's kind of how this should be handled because it's not the same everywhere. And what would work in, say, the Northeast region is not necessarily going to be applicable for the Midwest region. So, great, good job, federal government, coming out with this like phased plan. But the states are already on it and they're already kind of coming up with their own particular plans for their own particular regions. So... I'm just wondering when, like, SEC country gets to be our own region. Like, what about us? Maybe we'll even let the ACC in. And then then everybody will be really mad. <laughs> God forbid the Southeastern states um, form a coalition and start making decisions. Oh, I don't think a lot of people would like that. But that seems to be how this is going to be handled. And it's two points to be made here. Um, after the, the very sane, normal news conference, kind of, the next day, Trump gets back on Twitter and starts tweeting about how we need to liberate states, particularly blue states that are under lockdowns. And it's like, don't ever think that this guy is taking this seriously. Like, people cling to, like, if one time he says something, like, logical, people are like, oh, maybe he's getting it. No, he's not getting it. Like, it never fails. Give it 24 hours and Trump will take any goodwill that he might have earned and throw it in the trash. 
Oh my god! But yeah, so th- there's this whole tweet storm, and I just I I try not to follow it anymore because it's just Trump is just a super unhelpful person right now. Like there's nothing helpful coming out of this man. So again, my suggestion is to just. Can you just go like play with his phone in a corner somewhere till this is all over? Like, can you just put like Candy Crush on his phone or something? He can play that, or just get him a Nintendo Switch and he can play Animal Crossing. Like, just first the daily news conferences. Like, come on, even us asshole podcasters do not need to do daily updates on this. <laughs> Neither does he. And if you have to do daily updates, can he just not be there? Like, it just no. Just an extremely unhelpful human being. And so I think it's best to just ignore all of the things coming out of Trump right now, which is generally what I do. Like, I'm just, the only time I see his tweets is when someone else tweets them into my timeline. Like, I'm not following it. I'm not watching these press conferences. I will watch the clips when they come through on my Twitter feed. But just to sit there and watch this insanity on a daily basis, like, no. No, 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 no. Things are crazy enough. Preserve what little bit of sanity you have left in the quarantine COVID times by just, no, just let it go. Just let it go. Forget it. Anyway, something else that did come out of one of these conferences is Trump said that we, by we, I mean America, will be defunding the World Health Organization based off of how they have handled the COVID scandal as far as them basically carrying water for China and saying things that they knew to not be true as far as how bad it was, whether human-to-human transmission was possible, um, the whole mask, no mask, mask thing. Um like I discussed in the last roundup, um, I guess this wasn't something that was super widely known, but in certain circles, um, the the fact that the World Health Organization has been kind of sort of co-opted by China is something that was not unknown and was something that has been discussed somewhat widely, but now obviously we're having this discussion on a much wider scale because of everything that's happened. So this is one of those where, much like many of the promises that Trump has made during press conferences, I will believe it when I see it. Because first off, it's not his decision. It's Congress's decision about who does and does not get funded. So we shall see if Congress decides to defund the WHO. And I'm not holding my breath on that, but whether we do or don't, um, still a really worthwhile conversation to have about the WHO and kind of how they influence sort of global health issues and how they have been influenced by China. And then there's also kind of a larger discussion there about how China does have undue influence over certain sectors and I'm wondering, like, by the time this is all said and done, because obviously a lot of people are very, very angry at China right now for obvious reasons, whether that sort of influence, that kind of softer influence or that kind of reticence from certain countries or certain organizations to piss off China is still going to exist after this is done. 
I'm imagining it's not, or at least not to the extent that it currently existed. And in the pre-COVID times, it most definitely existed. I mean, you had this little flare up about whether we should be calling this the China virus or the Wuhan virus. Personally, I don't give a shit what you call it. But there are people who were wanting to say, oh, well, it's racist against China. It's racist against people of Wuhan. Um, I mean, it came out of China. I mean, I guess you could call it the China virus. Like I said, I really don't care. Like, it's just one of those, like, the, like the, the, the culture war shit is trying to make a, a return and kind of shove itself into the COVID crisis. And it's not being very successful. I mean, personally, I just call it COVID or coronavirus or whatever, because, I mean, we all already know where it came from. I don't think it really needs to be reiterated over and over and over again. I mean, you can call it the CCP flu. You can call it the Red China flu. Call it whatever you want. I really don't care. But that was kind of indicative of how certain people and certain organizations, certain industries like to tiptoe around offending China. I'm thinking a lot of that stuff is going to go by the wayside. And good. I mean, it should. And for what it's worth, a big story that kind of didn't get a lot of traction is, and this is according to Chinese numbers. This is their official numbers. So take it with a grain of salt. But they reported that in the first quarter of this year, um, their GDP dropped by over 6%, which is a massive drop for any country at any time, but it's especially massive given that China has had just GDP growth for decades. Like they have not had a downturn in decades. So this is substantially affecting China on an economic level. What this is going to mean inside of China is what I'm interested in. Because of course, this is going to affect the Chinese people. And much like any communist country, obviously, when GDP goes down, when I mean revenues go down, obviously, this is going to affect the people. And that's when people start getting really antsy and anxious and angry at their government for not fulfilling the promises that they have made. So I'm in, and it's going to be very hard to judge this because China did kick out all of the U S journalists. So getting an idea of what's going on in the ground in China right now is going to be very, very difficult. But I personally, that's, I think that's going to be the story is if this starts really affecting China economically, that's when you're going to see actual change within China. Because that's how you hurt them. Like, they don't really give a shit about us and our opinions about things. They don't really care what we think about them. They don't really care what anybody else thinks about them. They do care about their money. So once you start affecting the money, that's when there's going to start being problems. So wouldn't it be funny... If this is the thing that like weakens China to the point where maybe the Chinese people can get some kind of foothold into getting rid of the Communist Party or say Taiwan or Hong Kong can really like finally get enough leverage to push away from China completely because China's weakened. 
Wouldn't it be funny? Would it not just be some kind of great karmic justice if the coronavirus, the thing that came out of China, whether you think it came out of a lab on purpose or by accident or it was somebody eating a bat, whatever, if that's the thing that takes out China, wouldn't that just be something? I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to hold my breath, but that would just, wow, that would just be proof of karma. Would that not just be the absolute proof of karma? Anyway, I do want to talk about another story that's not really been talked about a lot before we leave out of this. And that is the the Tara Reid story. And no, not, not that Tara Reid, not 90s Tara Reid, other Tara Reid. Um, if you are not familiar with this, um, she came forth with an accusation that Joe Biden sexually assaulted her in 1993 when she was one of his junior staffers. And I'm going, I'm going to try to explain this as delicately as possible because this is sexual assault. Like this, we're not talking about Brett Kavanaugh here. We're talking about an 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 allegation of serious sexual assault. Um, She says that in the process of her trying to get a gym bag to Joe Biden, um, she finds him allegedly somewhere in some room. Somehow or another, her, by her allegations, uh, he pins her up against the wall and basically puts his fingers inside her. Okay, I'm just trying to put this as politely as possible. Um, clearly, anytime somebody puts a part of their body into someone else's body without their consent, that is sexual assault. So pretty, pretty serious allegation. Um, of course, this draws parallels to the Kavanaugh case for a specific reason. And the specific reason being that you may not have heard of this story because it did not get a lot of attention. And for me, whether you want to believe her or not, you're not going to be able to adjudicate an alleged sexual assault from 1993. We're never going to know if it actually happened or not. So right there off the rip, you're you're going to have to make a decision based on the evidence that's been put forth. And she does have people that are willing to corroborate it. Um, there's people who worked in the office at the time who were like, no, this didn't happen. Nothing like this happened. This is like, we've never heard anything about this. The HR person for his office at the time was like, nobody ever said anything to us. Um, apparently her brother and her friend are willing to corroborate parts of this story. So it's really, it, it kind of has those shades of obviously the Kavanaugh Ford incident. Incident just totally, completely downplays what happened there. But What's ended up happening is all of a sudden, like the press has found Jesus about wanting to be circumspect about talking about sexual assault allegations that happened way in the past and we're not really going to ever know. And so eventually, eventually the New York Times finally covered the allegations and they did kind of a long form piece on it kind of examining the the allegations and the proof and kind of basically sort of hand-waving it away for 
lack of a better term. Um, basically, their whole assertion is like, well, this this is flimsy. There's not a lot of evidence. So we're kind of not really going to cover this. And that led to probably what might be the most ill-advised tweet slash line in a piece, which, by the way, the tweet got deleted and the line got stealth edited out of the piece, which goes like this. No other allegation about sexual assault surfaced in the course of our reporting, nor did any former Biden staff corroborate Reed's allegation. We found no pattern of sexual misconduct by Biden beyond hugs, kisses, and touching that women previously said made them uncomfortable. Excuse me? (laughs) We found no pattern of sexual misconduct by Biden beyond hugs, kisses, and touching that women previously said made them uncomfortable. That's sexual misconduct. (laughs) So that kind of gives you an idea of the New York Times piece. And of course, everybody jumped on this. And like I said, they ended up deleting the tweet. They ended up stealth editing the line out of the piece because that was actually like a pull quote from the piece itself. And yeah, there's been obviously a lot of talk about how the press has handled this story compared to Kavanaugh. And I do feel like there is a fair amount of criticism here, especially given the fact that what Kavanaugh was accused of doing was not anywhere near the caliber of what Biden's been accused of doing. And Kavanaugh, when he was going through his Supreme Court nomination process, this was a man in his mid-50s being asked about something he allegedly did as a drunken high schooler. This allegation against Biden is something that is being alleged that a grown man and a sitting senator did. There's a huge difference there. And so if you want to sit there and examine the minutia of what did and did not happen in the Kavanaugh case, but you want to hand wave this away like, oh, well, there's not a lot of evidence. So whatever. No, uh, uh-uh. you don't get a pass. Not after, not after Kavanaugh. Mm-mm. And the idea that the press doesn't seem to understand the difference here and why people are mad, um, Dean Basquiat did a Q&A session that might be the most ill-advised Q&A session since Cernovich did an AMA on Reddit. Um, he had the question posed to him, like, well, why... Is this story not a story, but the Kavanaugh Ford story was a story, which, if you will remember, the New York Times, along with several other outfits, ran with all kinds of crazy accusations against Kavanaugh, like just the craziest shit that, of course, wasn't corroborated. And when it was even looked at for longer than 15 seconds, everyone was like, no, that's fake. That's bullshit. So his answer was that in in the case of Kavanaugh, that that particular situation was a very hot ongoing story and that's why they covered it. And I guess a presidential primary is not a hot ongoing story? That the presumptive Democratic nominee having a woman accuse him of sexual assault is not something that we need to discuss, I guess? (laughs) I was just like, oh my fucking God. And... There was a point where he basically admitted that they took that particular line 
out of the story because somebody in the Biden camp complained about it. So you stealth edited a piece. And mind you, the, that line should never have been there in the first place. Like, that's a, a fucking stupid thing to say. But you removed it, not because you realized it was a stupid fucking thing to say, but because somebody in the Biden camp bitched about it. Ooh, yeah, that's probably not something you should admit to. Even if it is the truth, you come up with a lie. <laughs> but it's just like, oh my God, it's just, it, it's indicative of the double standard. And of course, going along with the press double standard is the Me Too Warrior double standard that is in play. Um, Alyssa Milano basically tried to explain why this wasn't a big deal and why she's still supporting Biden, even though hashtag believe all women. And I guess <sighs> so much hypocrisy, so much hypocrisy has come out of this. And this is a story like if it wasn't for COVID, we'd probably be talking about this like all damn day. But because we have a global pandemic, which I guess is a hell of a lot more important than trying to dunk on Alyssa Milano on the internet, although plenty of people did that too, because we've got free time now. But just the sheer hypocrisy that is shown, and this isn't the first time, like, let's be honest, this is not the first time the Me Too movement has been shown to be hypocritical as hell about when men are accused and what men are accused and what men get raked over the coals and what men get excuses made for their actions. And it's in relationship to whether the people in question are liked or disliked by the women who are normally doing the coal raking. Like, it, I, there's, there's been so many times where these sort of Me Too warrior women have had their their male friends be accused of stuff and they want to excuse it and make excuses and be like, oh, well, then, 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 no, no, just hypocrisy and double standards need to be called out whenever they show up. And this is one where it's just like, it's so blatant that it's just like, you can't, you can't go without commenting on this because it's just obvious. It's just right there, obvious because Biden is the Democratic nominee and it is all hands on deck, beat Trump at all costs, you will bury a story about a, a sexual assault allegation that if it were anybody else, if it were Trump, if it were, I don't know, just pick another politician, pick somebody that the media generally doesn't like, they would be all over it like white on rice. That's all we'd be talking about. But because it's Biden and because you have to protect Biden now, all of a sudden, we have to bury this allegation. And like I said on at the beginning, it doesn't matter whether you believe her or not. That's not really the point of why people are mad about this. And you can believe her. You cannot believe her. That's up to you. Like, like I said, there's no way of knowing. There's not going to be any way of knowing whether something did or did not actually happen. We have no way of knowing if Joe Biden did this back in 93. There just isn't. Same way with Kavanaugh. We have no idea what happened in that room. So that's kind of how I feel about it. But that's kind of not the story. The story is people, the media, running interference for him on this when they really shouldn't be. And of course, Joe Biden himself was one of the believe all women people like, OK, so 
now that it's you, do you still want to hold on to that position? Or do you want to all of a sudden find nuance and subtlety in the idea that we should believe all women? <laughs> how are you going to walk that back, dude? How, how are you going to walk it back? Because you said, you said that we need to believe all women. So do I now need to believe Reed? Or is it different? Because it's always different when it's you. And it's always different when it's one of your own. It's just, it just burns the hypocrisy. So maybe that will become a story. I don't know. I hope so. I mean, a lot of people need to have their feet held to the fire on this one, especially after Kavanaugh, because that was insane. I've still got to say that even though we are in the midst of a global pandemic, the Kavanaugh confirmation thing has got to be the wildest most out of control thing I have ever covered on this podcast. That shit was insane. I I still cannot believe that happened. So, yeah. So anyway, I think that pretty much wraps up this week. Um, let's see what next week holds, what kind of new fresh insanity we have heading towards us. So, going to go ahead and wrap this up. So as always, if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.